you can turn in your Bibles this evening to Psalm 119. We're going to look at another text from this lengthy chapter towards the end. So move through the Hebrew alphabet. And we come to the second to last section, verses 161 to verse 168. So I invite you to follow along as I read from God's word. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, this evening we come to you and we want and we expect that which you have promised. That even as we gather, you are the one who have gathered. You are faithful to bring us to yourself that we might see glorious things from your word. Oh Lord, help us to have souls, hearts that love and keep your testimonies. Keep our feet, our hands, our hearts from evil. And though we may see others stumbling in the way, O oh Lord, hold fast to us and keep us righteous before your eyes. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that even now we might be those servants growing in grace and righteousness now and for the rest of our days. We pray in your name. Amen. There is a great connection between this text and the text that I preached on, Psalm 124. Both possess a theme of obedience and submission to the will of God against the willful disobedience and ignorance of the world. Willful ignorance is that rejection of the truth for a lie willfully, not accidentally, not ignorantly, in a sense of not knowing what is and is not true, but to willfully ignore, to subject oneself to futility and sin. Uh, the psalmist here reflects upon those who are in Christ and those who are in the world. Again, those who are represented by rulers or princes who bring persecution without any cause whatsoever. As we are, even in our own lives, moving into an age where it seems that there is a level of aggression uh, not yet seen in our land against the church, we must ask ourselves as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, what are we to think of this and how should our conduct be? What are we to do? Well, Psalm 119, 161 through 168 is the start to the answer of that question. How are we to live lives of faithfulness in a world where there is persecution? Two points that I want to make this evening. The first, reality restated. They're different from what's in your bulletin for the same reason I said this morning, things change. <laughs> reality restated and secondly, fearing God more than men. Fearing God more than men. Now, let's move to this first point, a reality restated. 
I took it this morning and I made much of it. And the point is this, the world is against the church because the world is against Christ. And though Christ made the world or the Father made the world through Christ by the Holy Spirit, though Christ went into the world, his own, we read in the Gospels, did not receive him. And this is because the darkness hates the light. Christ did not go into a place that was amiable to the Messiah, for the most part, but rejected the Messiah because their hearts were full of darkness and wickedness. And so, every believer that has ever lived is born into a world and lives and ministers and seeks to be faithful within a world where there are those who are in positions of power who want to persecute the church. Here, verse 161, princes persecute me without a cause, without a cause. So you may wonder, why me? Well, that is not really the best question. In fact, Christ answers that question. It is because of him that the world hates us. And so Christ says, remember, they hated me first. And so princes persecute even those who are faithful to Christ without a cause, simply because they endeavor to live lives of righteousness. And so he says, when he says without a cause, he does not mean without any cause whatsoever, but without a good cause. Maybe you've run into someone who never has anything good to say, who's constantly negative, who likes to insult and tear down, and you enter into a conversation with those people, and by the end of the conversation, you feel like you've been taken down a peg or two, and you go, what in the world is happening? What's the cause of this? Siblings, sometimes you like to do that to one another. You pay insult even for kindness. And this harsh talk is, of course, the evidence of a wicked heart. And that is what comes from wicked men. In order for human princes to push for their cause of unrighteousness, it requires the persecution of those who are salt and light to diminish, to mute, to persecute, to downplay the testimony of the faithful. And so the church will always be, if faithful, in the way of wicked pursuits. She's always going to find herself. In our house, we have this galley kitchen. It's a beautiful kitchen, but you can't have a lot of people in a galley kitchen. A galley kitchen is good for cooking, but it's not good for fellowshipping. And so in the mornings, all the kids and Carl and I, we gather in the kitchen, and every time you turn around, there's either a pair of feet to trip over or someone right in the way of where you want to go. So I say, go to the ends of the kitchen. Just go to either end. I don't care, either end. That way we can operate in here. As the world endeavors to operate in the world, there will always be an opposite cause meant to trip us up and block us from our faithful labors. This is spiritual warfare in places where we can see it. Spiritual warfare is not invisible warfare. All warfare between the church and the world derives its its substance and meaning in the spiritual conflict in heavenly places between good and evil. And it manifests itself all the time in this world. Roe v. Wade is a manifestation of wickedness, of spiritual darkness on earth. And those who suffer 
our children, and even those who elect to perform abortions, or those men who drive their girlfriends or wives to those places where those abortions are performed. There is not physical and spiritual, and those things are divided. We're not Gnostics, though it's easy to be that way in this world in which we live. The world wants us to think Gnostically, but we are not. And so the conflict between good and evil is a constant conflict between body and soul and body and soul, the good versus the wicked. And the world is against the church. This is a shift in reality. When you go from a member of the kingdom of darkness to a member of the kingdom of light, and the more you pray, Lord... Make me like yourself. Make me holy as you are holy. Help me to stand in awe of your word, to rejoice at your word, to find the word as a great treasure. The more the princes of the world will desire to persecute you. It's like saying, hey, 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 here I am. And you paint a big target. And so the psalmist in light of the knowledge of conflict, asks the Lord to let him, in the very presence of persecution, to not be so transfixed by the persecution of wicked rulers, but to be transfixed by the righteousness of God revealed against ungodliness in such a way that we learn to live righteous lives. And so if you endeavor to be a faithful Christian, it will always be under fire, It will always be in the midst of conflict. And so your reality has changed from a friend to an enemy of the world. And this is a blessed yet dangerous place to be. Dangerous because the world has you in their sights, but blessed because God has you in his hands. He has you in his sights and he will never let go of you. He will never remove his countenance from you. And so you have to ask yourself a question. As a disciple of Christ Jesus, will I be thrown off, intimidated? Will I be derailed by the knowledge that there will be, without cause, harm, persecution, and suffering against me and against my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And the answer to that is to hold fast to the one who has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness. And that is what Psalm 119 is about. It is to receive, to treasure, to love, to know, to keep the law of God, despite the fact that it makes us very different from the world. Elsewhere, the scriptures say to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. Well, to be friends with God is to be at enmity with the world as well. And so prepare for a fight. Our reality has changed, but do not let your hearts be discouraged or distracted away from obedience to the Lord for the sake of the aggravations of men. There is much to be distracted by. It's there. There is much to be discouraged by. There are many reasons for this. There are many illusions and temptations to fall into. But the Lord would call us out of that life of misery and distraction and death into a life of obedience and faith. But it comes at a cost. 
And it does require patience and hope. So what does the psalmist seek as chief abiding, comforting reality that that looms larger, that speaks louder than the persecution of princes? Well, it's the Lord's face. He seeks the face of the Lord. He hopes for the salvation of God. And so, secondly, we see that he fears God more than men. Look at verse 163. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. There's the rub. There's the tension. The reason why the Christian cannot abide the things of the world is because the world believes the lie and a Christian is grounded upon the truth, which means this. There are not many good systems or ways to God. There is one way, and if you know Christ, you know the way, and it is your responsibility to say to the world around you, however capably, because doing it is better than not doing it, I hate the lies of wicked men, but I love God's law. Now the world may say to you, what do you know about it? And you may say to the world, well, what do you know about it? There is a competing, or there are competing, ideological, religious systems. One system is built upon God's revelation and magnifies Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the only one who can take away our sins because he is raised. The other system is built upon, although that looks like many systems, it is a human effort to cover oneself by made-up religion. And all of those made-up religions are some knockoff variation of the true article. If you were to go to New York and you were standing there on the street corner, someone may come up to you and open his jacket, and there are all of the Rolexes, but they're only $50. Well, how do you get a Rolex for $50? You don't. Or a Gucci handbag. You don't. And everyone knows those bags are fake, but boy... If I walk around, even with a $50 Gucci, most everybody sees it and goes, that person spent way too much money on that handbag. This is what false religion is like. And everyone knows they're walking around with a $50 Rolex or a $50 Gucci bag, but you know what? It looks like the genuine article until you bump it and the glass breaks because it's not sapphire. It's just cheap glass. Or the leather rips because it's not leather it's pleather it's not the genuine article every man knows that the handbag they're carrying cannot carry the weight of the burden of the guilt of his own soul and so what do they do they lash out at those who do carry the genuine article at those who hate lies And love the law of God. Now, how is the psalmist sustained in this state of tension? Look at verse 164. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. It is a life of perpetual attention given to the judgments of God. His precepts 
It's worship. Now, when the psalmist here says seven times a day, it's probably seven times more than you or I may do it. But it certainly doesn't mean exactly seven times. It means that the whole of my day is to be filled with a life of meditating upon your promises. Now, you may think, Lord, I don't pray like I should. I would encourage you, if you don't have children, go have children. You'll learn to pray a lot. (laughs) One hundred times a day, I pray for patience. (laughs) And the Lord answered my prayer for patience by giving me children. And I realized, this is not what I... (laughs) this This is the gauntlet of patience. We are to pray... We are to seek the Lord's face. We are to worship him because of his righteous judgments. What is the alternative to that? Unrighteous judgments. We see this in our culture all the time. We see it in the show trials. We see it in the kangaroo courts. We see it in the courts of public opinion. We see constantly, and we've made them ourselves unrighteous judgments. Children, your parents who profess to love Christ have struggled and they hear you out, but they don't see it all and they make unrighteous judgments. Because why? Because they're not sovereign. Humans can only make incomplete, at times, arbitrary judgments, but God, who sees everything and is good, All of his judgments are righteous. Now this is good news for the the saint, for the Christian, for the one who loves the law of God because he understands that God's judgments are not against him, they are for him because he is hidden in Christ Jesus. And one day you and I, if we are in Christ, will judge the world. How are we judging the world now? Through the proclamation of the word of God that divides sheep from goats. The saved from the unsaved, the elect from the reprobate. Even now, Christ is, through his church, wielding the sword and dividing. This is all part of God's plan. And because of God's righteous judgments, because he does all things well, look at 165. We have a good judge, which means we have peace. We have peace. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Christ secures us as our prophet, as our priest, as our king. He gives us peace because of his righteous judgments, because of the salvation that he has poured out, because of the law that he has revealed. Verse 166, Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. All obedience is grounded upon the hope that is ours, that God does all things well. I think of the kid who is arguing with his peers on the playground. Uh-uh. My dad said dot, dot, dot. Well, that's not what my dad said. This is a lot of what our arguments end up like, even in apologetics. My God said, and the other person, well, no, That's not what my God said. What words do we ground our security in? It must be, God hath said. And any other foundation is sinking sand. 
what the psalmist is praying for, in light of the competition and the friction between the kingdoms, is an adherence and love to the one who has given the law and thusly the law that he gives and the revelation that he has poured out for us, to us. And so he asks, Lord, give me all. Now, how do you develop all at the word of God? Well, it does not happen by ignoring the word of God. You can never obey that which you do not love, and you cannot love that which you ignore. Love grows cold in absence. Awe, affection, attention, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom is cultivated by what? By rejoicing at God's word. There seems to be something in the pietistic movement of spontaneity. And it's spontaneity while forsaking discipline. There used to be something in the sonship movement that was sort of in vogue 15 years ago when I was in seminary. And it was this, well, if you don't feel it, don't do it because it's not sincere. And I would often ask the men who were often married who said this to me, do you not say to your wife you love her and you only say that when you feel love for her? Or do you say it and work through it, especially when you do not feel it? Can you imagine for a moment your spouse coming up to you saying, I love you, and you say to them, I'm just not feeling it today. That's a recipe for counseling, a disaster. In fact, the Lord knows. He knows our weakness. He knows our frame. And so he has given us a big Bible to spend the whole of our lives contemplating and meditating and pouring over and reading. And what happens when we encounter God in his word is we become like the one whom we behold. If you wish to have all and attention and affection for Christ, for the Father, for the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you must do what? You must focus upon him. You must stand in awe of his word. You must seven times a day praise the Lord. And out of that, 166, comes hope for God's salvation. How do you become one who hopes in God's salvation when you read how God pours out his salvation time and time and time again? Do you know how you teach boys courage? To give them stories of courage so they can see men who have, who have sort of gone through the gauntlet and you can look at them and say, I want to be like that guy. How do we learn courage? How do we learn faithfulness and all? How do we hope for salvation? We encounter God's saving acts time and time again in his word. And we open our eyes to see what he's doing right now. And we look and go, wow, what a work he's doing. And the measure of our allegiance is measured by the degree of awe and attention and affection 
our God gets. How do you know then what you worship? Who do you run to in times of crisis? What have we learned in the past two years about who men run to in times of crisis? Where do they run? Well, they ran to Washington, didn't they? That's who the world worships. They run to positions of power of men. Instead of running from the to the sanctuary of God, they ran to anywhere but to whom shall we go for help? To whom shall we fly? We run to the Lord. Now let's look at 167. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Now, soul keeping is not and ought not to be different from hand and mouth and eye keeping. But when Eve looked at the fruit, she did not first sin by biting. She first sinned by doing what? Seeing that it was good. When you call wickedness good or evil good and good evil, you have sinned in your heart. And so the psalmist asks for obedience to be kept where? Not just in his hands, in his mouth, in his eyes, in his feet. Those external extremities. But that his soul would keep the testimonies of God. Now, God's testimonies are not just his law. They are what? Well, when you look at the moral law, the summary of it in Exodus chapter 20, the Lord begins, I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of sin and death, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What is that a statement of? Is that law? Not strictly. It's a preface to the law that is a statement of what God has done for us And in light of what God has done for us and bringing us to this place of covenant fellowship, we are then to keep as those who have been redeemed. This is how we are to think of the law. We are to think of the law as those whose lives have been saved and now we have been bought with a price and we belong to Christ Jesus. And so how dare we think for a moment that God is inconveniencing us by asking us to not go the way our friends go or the world goes. Because look at the treasure and how blind we are to the richness of the bounty of God's grace and mercy when we long for the tables of the world And we reject the bounty of God's mercy and grace. And so the psalmist says, I keep your testimonies right deep down in my soul. And I love them. And so he is one who submits cheerfully, happily, earnestly, urgently. While all the world is rebelling, look at verse 165. We have great peace and we do not stumble. And so when I want you to, when you go out into the world next time and I, you look at how the world seeks to fumble life, I want you to see them as a, a, you know what they say, if you're ever nervous of speaking, imagine everyone in their underwear. Don't do that. That's, That's actually against scripture. But the point is, bring everybody down on a level 
so you don't feel like you're the only one that needs to be embarrassed. When you go out into the world, I want you to look at the world as those who are constantly tripping over their feet. While the nations rage, I want you to think of the the wicked rulers of this world as constantly gaffing. Sometimes that's not hard to do. (laughs) Sometimes it's actually very easy to see. Sometimes they make gaffes, but that's not the main point. The point is this, morally speaking, the world goes from empty cistern to empty cistern to empty cistern because those wells cannot hold water. And we look at them, and we are to take pity and say, hey, do you wish never to stumble again? Do you wish to have joy and awe at that which is good? Do you wish to love something, really love something, and love it purely and innocently, and receive innocence and purity of that love or from that love you have for that one who is innocent and pure? And so 168 I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. At the end of this section, the psalmist is essentially saying this. As a Christian, as one who wishes to live visibly, manifestly, a life of righteousness before the world, the princes see my behavior that is righteous and they hate me for it. But that's not the one I'm living for. I'm living for the one who's, who sees all of my ways, verse 168, and I'm okay with that. Because he does not come at me with accusation, but he comes to me with words of comfort and peace because I have made peace with him through Christ, the peacemaker, the prince of peace the mighty God, the eternal Father, the one who now sits upon the throne of heaven and earth, and one day every prince who ever attacks the saint will have to give an answer to the one who is the high king of heaven and earth. He is the one we are living for. And so, in earnest, if we are to be true citizens of that heavenly kingdom that is coming to earth as it is in heaven, we are to be those who understand That our lives are ever seen before the Lord. They are ever before him. But that does not bring fear. It brings comfort. It brings security. Because we do not stand before God alone, but we stand before him through the mighty cause of Christ. And one day, as our days continue... He will continue to uphold his cause in such a way that faithfulness with the Lord will prove to be the right way, the proper way. He will bring justice. He will reveal righteousness. He will judge the nations. That is our comfort.